Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Starting at verse 25. Hold that moment and let me give you the background that brings us to verse 25 that's in the early portion of this eighth chapter. Stephen has just been stoned to death for his preaching of Jesus Christ. A man from the Sanhedrin by the name of Saul stood and watched this execution and held the coats of those who were doing it. No more has Stephen passed from the scene until a man takes his place named Philip, who was one of the early deacons in the church. Philip left. Jerusalem, where the stoning of Stephen had taken place, and went to the city of Samaria, and there he preached. As a result of his preaching, a large number of people were saved. He is not a preacher, he's a deacon, a layman in the church. One of those people that heard Philip preach was a man by the name of Simon. Several months ago, many months ago now, I preached a sermon on this man and called him Simon Magus, or Simon the Magician. Some of you may remember that. This Simon, the scripture says, believed what Philip had taught although he was looked upon as a person who had been sent by God. He was baptized and became a part of the believers. The word of all of this salvation coming to people in Samaria reached back to Jerusalem and the church sent Peter and John to Samaria to find out what really was going on. And while they were there, this Simon observed that Peter and John would lay their hands on people and something happened. They received the Holy Spirit. And Simon offered to buy this power that uh, Peter and John apparently had and were very rudely, they rudely... uh, criticized him and rebuked him for thinking that he could buy the power of God. Now, we are at verse 25. That's a quick synopsis of the early verses. And they, that is Peter and John, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. That is, as they left Samaria and started back towards Jerusalem, they stopped at every town along the way and preached. That's what that means. Verse 26. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, 
Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. He arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia. This is a black man, a Negro. A eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for the worship was returning and sitting in his chariot reading Esaias, that's Isaiah, the prophet. Then the Spirit saith unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? He said, How can I accept some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him place of the scripture which he read was this. Here's the quote. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearers, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who shall declare his generation, for his life is taken from the earth? That's the quote. We're at the end of the quote. Verse 34. And the eunuch answered Philip, and said, I pray thee, of whom speakest the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? And Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. As they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. He answered and said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Let me stop there a moment to say I do not understand how anybody who uses the, the process of sprinkling could possibly comprehend the value in Philip and the eunuch going down and standing, let's say, waist deep in the water and then sprinkling water on top of his head. That would be ridiculous, would it not? Sprinkling was not a process of baptism. They went down into the water. Okay, verse 39. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip. And the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Athos, and passed through, passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. You know, the church has an assignment. We have a responsibility assigned to us by God, and that is to witness for Jesus Christ. To tell the entire world who Jesus is and what he did. That's our job. And that task is not only to be done in Turtle Creek, but all the way around Boone County, all of West Virginia, all of the United States, and all of the world. That's our responsibility. To see that that's done. Not only is it the responsibility of the church, 
but it's the responsibility of every single member of the church. It's my job. It is your job. If you are a Christian, we have been assigned the job of evangelizing the world. Whether it's one person or great numbers of people. Now there are basically six methods of evangelism. One is we what we call mass evangelism. That uh, was the thing that happened on the day of Pentecost when Peter preached and 3,000 people were saved. That's what Billy Graham does and other people who, who draw masses of people to, to great uh, field houses or to uh, coliseums or ball fields and preach to great numbers of people. That's mass evangelism when you can reach a large number of people in a hurry. We can do it by television or by radio when we reach masses of people. Well, that's fine. There are those people who, who can do that, but for the most part, we're not involved in that process. We don't have much to do with it. Although at one time, I assisted in one of the Billy Graham campaigns in, in Indianapolis, Indiana. And from my church, there were some people who were saved in that uh, series of meetings, and I had the privilege of baptizing a few that were evangelized by this mass process. Secondly, there's the missionary evangelism efforts that we conduct. And just a couple, well, last Sunday was, wasn't it? We received the, the World Fellowship Offering, and I've forgotten to find out the amount of that. Do you have it, had it off the top of your head, a hundred and some dollars that we raised for that particular fund. We send missionaries throughout the world for the purpose of evangelizing those that do not know Jesus Christ. We do share there very gratefully through our missionary efforts and the, the Sunday school offering that we receive on the first Sunday of each month and our special offerings that we receive and what the, uh, the ABW does in their love gift and other things that they do is a part of evangelizing the world through missionaries. And we learned in some of the material that uh, you received in, in our quarterly publication that uh, Sheila put together that we baptized on foreign fields something like 60,000 people last year. That's our part in evangelizing the world through missions. And through the early history of the scripture, there was the effort to reach out from Jerusalem to Judea, then Samaria, and then Jesus said to the uttermost parts of the earth, that's our responsibility. And anybody who does not believe in the missionary work is stifling the effort of the gospel to be preached like Jesus said that it must be. We must be missionary-minded. We must not be thinking in terms of keeping our money and our efforts right here in our local community. But we ought to desire to spread out and to send more continually to others in our county and in our state and nation and around the world. If we don't have this evangelistic thrust, we are stifling the spirit. Thirdly, there's pastoral evangelism. That's what I do. 
as pastor. And many times I am receive a call from some of you, perhaps, uh, that there is somebody that is interested in receiving the Lord as Savior, and I go, or I do it here from the pulpit. Listen, one of my responsibilities for any of you who are not Christians tonight, if that would be the case, is to try to do something from behind this desk that would convince you that you ought to be saved. That's a part of our effort. And, and that's, that's the, the passion, the calling that I received and many, many other pastors receive is to evangelize those who are not saved by our preaching or by our personal contact. Fourthly, there is lay evangelism. That's you. And this is where Stephen gets into the picture. He was not a preacher, but he was responsible for the salvation of of many hundreds of souls. There was uh, family evangelism as our fifth one that would be illustrated by the family of Cornelius or the Philippian jailer when an entire family was converted and brought into the fold by the efforts of somebody. And then the one that I want to, to, uh, for us to think about tonight is personal evangelism. That is what you do as a person, what I do, not as pastor so much, but as a person. Each of us are responsible for winning people to Christ. Every one of us. And for those of you who have actually done it, I'm sure we'll never forget the, the, the thrill, the excitement of seeing the person that you have talked to or worked with finally get out of their seat and come down the aisle. It wasn't the preaching of the, uh, from the pulpit. It probably wasn't the music or something else. It probably was your effort to uh, bring them to that saving knowledge. And many of you would testify to the fact that you were saved as a direct result of some individual. It may have taken a combination of a lot of things. But that's the responsibility that we have. And probably the most neglected of all our efforts in evangelism is for an individual to assume the responsibility of leading somebody to Jesus Christ. Now, number one, the saint. That's in the title. We would have to consider is Philip who was a layman in the church. He had the position of a deacon. But he had received a burden from the Lord to tell other people about Jesus Christ. And every person who claims the name of Christ ought to carry that burden and be ready and prepared to say something, to do something that would cause that person to be one to the Lord. You don't know in your daily life when you're going to go around the corner and run into somebody who needs to be talked to or who asks you about being a Christian. And Philip was a, an individual who was full of the Holy Spirit, but he's no more full of it than we are or we should be. We are led by the same spirit that he was led with. 
He was a man of wisdom, but he had no order on wisdom. God will give wisdom to all who desire it. He told us that. Those who are lacking, ask, and, and you can receive it. He had a deep faith in Jesus Christ and knew personally that Jesus was his Savior. Well, do you and I not know the same thing? Do we not have faith in the same Savior? Therefore, if we have faith, if we know him personally, if we have been given wisdom because we have asked it of God, and we're full of the Holy Spirit, as we ought to be, then we can testify of our faith. Now, it doesn't mean that we have to have some glorious presentation to make. The thing it does mean is that we ought to know what happened to us and be able to say to that person, well, look, this is what I found in my relationship. I knew I was lost and what the Lord did and how he appealed to you and what you did in response and what it means to you. We ought to be able to at least say what the Lord means to us as an individual. That really is the testimony that wins people. You know, sermons can be preached just because a person is supposed to preach them. But listen, no personal testimony is done just because you feel you're obligated to do it. Your genuine concern and interest will show through. And you'll get somewhere in telling a person about your own faith. A personal experience with Jesus Christ is what you need, and really all you need, to begin witnessing. Then, upon that basis, you can... Take the word, and I'm going to speak of that in a moment. And it ought to be possible for us to, to do that at any time. Uh, I, I think that we all need to settle in our own minds, what is the testimony that I have to give? And be able to, to put it in words, and then be able to give it. All right? The second statement is the sinner. Here is a black man, a eunuch, who is in charge of the queen's finances and all of her business affairs, from Ethiopia, who had been up to Jerusalem to worship. He evidently was a proselyte, that is, he was, he was a person of another religion who had been converted to Judaism. And while there, he had heard some things that interested him about a person named Jesus Christ. And on his way home, as he sat in his chariot, he opened up his Old Testament, and that's all he had, the scriptures, the scrolls, and he was reading from the book of Isaiah. He didn't understand what he was reading. But the Lord said through the Holy Spirit to Philip, go to that chariot, get you down there. And he went. This man's seeking answers. And what is Philip supposed to do? Say to the man, well, wait a minute, we've got to turn around and go back to Jerusalem and let me get Peter. No. 
must be capable of interpreting the scripture. And I think you need to carry in your Bible, so that you have it at all times, a piece of paper. I happen to have one that I carry all the time. There are two sections of scriptures written on it so that if I forget, I can turn to them. One is how to be saved, and I have a six, seven, eight, ten, sixteen passages of scripture written there on how to be saved. I would suggest that you keep a list like that in your Bible, and then that you take a highlighter, and you go to those passages in your New Testament, and you highlight them. And then if somebody wants to know how to be saved, you can either look at your list if you don't have them memorized, and I have never been good at memorizing particular locations of Scripture, or you can flip through your Bible and see the highlights and stop there and read God's Word to the individual who is inquiring. The other list that I have is the assurance of salvation. And I have... Uh, 14 passages of Scripture that talk about how to know that you are saved once you become saved. And that will become an issue with many people. Well, how do I know I'm saved? You can turn to those passages and show them from God's Word. Now, it is important that we use the Scripture. With the sinner who is inquiring we go to the third point, and that is the sword. Here is the sword. This is the sword. Over in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 is a very important passage of Scripture. Let me read that to you. Hebrews 4.12. You ought to make a note of it and keep it. This is one of the passages that I have highlighted in my scripture. For the word of the Lord is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and morals, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I'm not going to deal with all the points in that, and there would probably be some questions that you might have as to what all that means. But listen, the point that I want you to notice is the scripture says that the word of the Lord is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. You want to get to somebody? Use God's word and it will cut to the heart. You don't have to use your own words. Use God's word. Here's the sword that he has given us. And what does Philip do when the man says, what does all this mean? He reads the passage from Isaiah that the man is inquiring about and then explains that to him. Use the word of God to convict. The Christian ought to be able to unfold not all of the mysteries that are in the Scripture, but the simple mysteries that are in the Scripture. Don't let a person start with you and saying, well, I don't understand where 
uh, Cain or Abel or some of those people got their wives or how it was that Jonah was swallowed by a whale or how it was that God confounded the languages uh, at the Tower of Babel or some of the other more complicated things. Those won't bring a person to salvation. But listen, those passages of Scripture that tells a person that they're lost and doomed for hell will be quick and will cut like a sword and will bring them to a point of decision more quickly than all those other things. Now, fourthly, the Spirit. Two things I want to say about the Spirit. First of all, it was the Spirit who told Philip to go down in the desert and join himself to that chariot. The literal translation of joining himself to the chariot is glue yourself to the chariot. Stay right there. Don't you get out of the chariot until you have accomplished what I'm sending down there to accomplish. Complete the task. Now, we sometimes overlook the fact that God is preparing the way for us to testify. It is God, or the Holy Spirit, uh, that member of the Godhead, who is bringing you and a lost person together. And God is depending upon you to be his mouth. To be the voice that will be able to quote the scripture and expound on it enough to help a person understand what the situation is. The spirit goes before us when we will be in tune to the Spirit and prepare the way. And many people think, I just can't possibly go out and speak to somebody about Christ. Yes, you can. If you are sincere and honest and wanting to win somebody, the Spirit will be there before you get there. And He will have prepared the way. He may have softened the heart. And he will give you the words to say if you're earnest and sincere. So the Spirit, number one, deals with the saint in bringing the saint to the point where he can deal with the individual who needs salvation. Secondly, I think we need to understand it is not us who is convicting a person that is lost and needs to be saved. It is the Spirit that convicts. All we are is the instrument in the hand of the Holy Spirit to bring it about. You see, Philip read the Scripture. He explained to him what the Scripture is, and we don't find a thing in the Scripture that Philip said, Now look, you ought to be saved. Although that's certainly proper and important at times for us to do. But the point I'm making is he didn't have to because the man immediately said, Look, there's a body of water. What? prevents me from being baptized. He had apparently gone that far in his explanation to explain the, the fact that baptism is a symbol of what takes place in the heart. And they, so he says to Philip, well, now what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip told him what prevents him from being baptized. 
Or I could say it another way, Philip told him what would make it possible for him to be baptized. And he said, and if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you can be saved. Well, what was the response the young man had? He said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then he immediately said to the driver of the chariot, Stop! The chariot stopped. And the black man got out of the chariot. And I'm going to freely interpret here and said, Philip, come on, baptize me. Where is there another way proposed? There is none. There is none other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. Do you want to be saved? If you're not saved, do you really want to be? If you say in your heart, I really want to be saved, I can tell you how, and I'll do it by telling you what the Scripture says. Right here from this experience. If you want to be saved, admit to this congregation, to God above, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then do something about it. Commit your life to that Savior and you'll be saved now it's here that we have the real success of the church the eunuch's salvation came about because a layman in the church explained to him what it meant I would hope that you, as a layman of this church, as a Christian, would know Jesus Christ well enough to be able to make an introduction. I have the privilege of introducing people lots of times or making arrangements for the introduction. And I will say on many occasions to somebody, you know him well, you introduce him. Do you know Jesus Christ well enough to introduce him to your friend, your neighbor, your family? Maybe you do and don't know, but you do. I would like to introduce you to Jesus Christ tonight if you don't know him. And you can be saved and be on your way to heaven tonight. By reaching out your hand and taking the hand of the Lord. And I'd like to say to you, this is my Savior, Jesus Christ. He can be yours too. If you just yield your life to him. Let us pray. 
Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.